The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Root of the Rod of the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heider, and on this episode, I am joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, a seminary that's entering the final week of its academic year. Your Excellency, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, nice to be here. In this episode of Root of the Rot, our continuing series examining Christendom from the time of our Lord to the present day, we are to the era of Paul VI. And I was telling His Excellency before we began today's show that really this man got us ready for Bergoglio a long time before we knew Bergoglio was coming. He was sort of the, the John the Baptist. He was paving the way for Bergoglio by starting to make outrageous statements at, at a time when, when people would not have expected them from a man wearing a white cassock. And over and over as I read these phrases, I couldn't really believe that he had said this at the time. And His Excellency can probably give us some perspective on, on how people reacted to those phrases, and perhaps he'll do that as we're going through each of these quotes. But I wanted to start, Your Excellency, uh, with October the 5th, 1965, and his address to the United Nations. And we've, we've gotten your take on the United Nations in previous episodes, so we won't belabor that point. But really, it's brought out in this quote. It is your task here to proclaim the basic rights and duties of man, his dignity and his liberty, and above all, his religious liberty. We are conscious that you are interpreters of all that is paramount in human wisdom. We would almost say of its sacred character, for your concern is first and foremost with the life of man, and man's life is sacred, no one may dare to interfere with it. I really am at a loss where to begin there, Your Excellency, so I'll yeah, leave it with you. Loaded. This is loaded. Uh, first of all, to address the UN, which is a godless, secularistic uh, institution founded by, uh, principally by Mrs. Roosevelt, who was a communist and by Alger Hiss, who was a convicted communist agent, um, and which is full of Freemasons and various other uh, anti-Catholic entities and secularistic entities, to, to address the UN in that way, that it is your task to proclaim the basic rights and duties of man. Well, what is the task of the Church? <laughs> what has the Church been doing for the past 2,000 years? And it is as if the U.N. has become the source of moral theology. And when did they ever say that they learned their 
their political philosophy or theology from the Catholic Church. We know where they learned it from, from the French Revolution and all of the ideas of the 18th century, everything that uh, became very ugly in the 19th century against Catholicism. Uh, this, is, this is what animates uh, that group. And uh, you know, to say this, that uh, you have this duty to proclaim the basic rights and duties of man, and then his dignity and his liberty, what dignity does man have apart from the Creator, his original creation? What dignity does he have after original sin apart from redemption? And his liberty, we know what that means. That means the liberty in the sense of liberalism, liberty of thought and and uh, liberty of religion, that we can think whatever we want. We can have, uh, profess whatever religion we want. This is the context of this. I mean, they, they don't have, they're not all Thomists. Uh, and, uh, you know, with a, a Thomistic notion of liberty, and they're not taking it in that sense. They are taking it in the sense of the French Revolution, that we are free from the law of God and from the law of the Church, uh, that we can think whatever we want and put into action whatever we want, as long as, quote-unquote, it doesn't hurt somebody else. And then he says, to top it all off, and above all, his religious liberty. Now, this is October 5th, 1965. Uh, December 8th, 1965, will be the promulgation of the decree on religious liberty. So that's already very much in the works in the Vatican II Council. So for him to say, above all, his religious liberty, he is referring to this condemned idea condemned by so many people, condemned by St. Augustine uh, to begin with, and then uh, condemned by Pius VI and Pius VII and by Leo XII and by Gregory XVI and by Pius IX and by Leo XIII and Pius X and Pius XI and Pius XII. They all condemned it. And he's saying to this, this group of atheists, uh, we want you to proclaim religious liberty. I mean, this is really bad. This is, uh, and as you say, it is the early Bergoglio. And that's why I always say concerning Bergoglio that he, this is just the, the fruition of Vatican II. There's nothing unusual about Bergoglio. Bergoglio is just the, the mature tree of Vatican II. Uh, it, it's not as if he's something that's off the rails and, and some sort of radical that... Uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, that is trying to distort Vatican II. He's just drawing it out, uh, and uh, because it's all here. And then he says, "We are conscious that you are interpreters of all that is paramount in human wisdom. All uh, interpreters of all that is paramount in human wisdom. You, wisdom is is uh, is the highest knowledge." Human wisdom is the faith. Uh, that's what St. Thomas teaches, that, that, uh, that the faith is wisdom. It's the highest knowledge. But even if you take it from merely the point of view of, of uh, natural wisdom, I mean, these people <laughs> wouldn't know natural wisdom if it bit them. I mean, <laughs> these people are, are totally uh, perverted in their minds with regard to what the highest goals of man are and what the, the purpose of the human race is, and I mean, totally perverted in their minds. 
And he says this to them, we are conscious that you are the interpreters of all that is paramount in human wisdom. Um, and uh, then he goes, we would almost say, of its sacred character. So he is mixing the sacred with this most profane body of human beings, uh, you know, founded by Mrs. Roosevelt and Alger Hiss, uh, this this uh, this organization that is meant to found a world republic based on a completely secularistic society, and uh, and he's saying this is sacred, and he 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 says for your concern is first and foremost with the life of man, and man's life is sacred, no one may dare to interfere with it, so he. <laughs> First of all, they're not concerned with the life of man because they promote birth control and abortion. You know, not the life of babies in any case. Uh, they they want these populations to be on on, on birth control, and so uh, it's uh, you know, where is he getting this? Uh, it, it is a totally uh, secularistic view of society and a complete surrender of. You know, if we take for a second, you know, if we assume for a second falsely that he's the Pope, it is a surrender of the Church to this organization of atheistic laypeople and socialists, uh, which, you know, he was, uh, and uh, communists, many of them. I mean, this is the UN which which includes, uh, you know, Soviet Russia. <laughs> Uh, it includes all of these Muslims, uh, and it shows that uh, you know the mind of Paul the Six that uh, that the most important thing is the the secular life of man, and that human wisdom can perfect man. Uh, this uh, secularistic uh, humanism, uh, he will object to that. Uh, that it's too secular. He'll say you need some religion in it. We'll see that in a minute. But essentially, what is secularistic humanism? That this will perfect man, which means that man can be perfected without grace, without redemption. He can make a peaceful world, uh, a beautiful world for everybody, and that, that this is, uh, you know, a sacred thing. It really well, I, is a... Go ahead. I, I almost get the sense here, he's trying to sacralize secularism. I, I can see him putting a, a cope and a mitre on Danton. You know, that he's He's saying he's attributing something that isn't there. He's trying to say there's a sacred character when I'm sure these people at the UN might have just been sitting back in their chairs and say, what is he talking about? Sacred character. We, we don't even believe in that nonsense. I'm sure they did. Uh, the the Novus Ordo has always looked absurd in the sight of these secularists. The Novus Ordo's reproach to secular humanism is, oh, you're too secular. You need a spiritual dimension to what you're doing. And you should accept the Novus Ordo. We have cleaned up Catholicism according to your dictates. We have made it a, a religion of man. And so now you should accept it and, and promote Catholicism uh, as the uh, spiritual uh, dimension of secular humanism. That we are making secular humanism our our goal, the Church's goal, is the perfection of man according to the dictates of secular humanism. That, uh, if you recall from the show we did 
on the on Gaudium et Spes. That is the entire theme of Gaudium et Spes. That is the mm-hmm. Vatican II document on the Church in the modern world. And this is something that the popes have argued against uh, uh, for the past 200 years. The, you see, after the French Revolution, the uh, question was, can the Church baptize the Revolution and in some way live with it and make peace with it, or must it build a wall against the Revolution and attack it and condemn it? That has during the whole 19th century and early part of the 20th century, that was the big discussion. And it, it never really was answered. It, it, I mean, two, very much two sides. It was never resolved. And so you had two parties in the church, one that would say, well, we can baptize it. Others, well, no, we can't. And uh, the the modernists represented the, the baptizers, <laughs> And the anti-modernists, the the non-baptizers, the uh, as the modern world became more and more modern and secularized and more and more in line with the principles of the French Revolution, so did these modernist Catholics you know, in the Catholic Church. They became more and more secularized. Uh, they hitched their their wagon to the horses of the modern world. Wherever those horses go, they go. And so uh, it, already Maritain in the late uh, 30s uh, wrote a book called Sec- uh, Integral Humanism, which means this, that the Church can embrace humanism, but it should have a spiritual dimension. And this has been the theme of these Novus Ordo popes and, and the Novus Ordo in general, is uh, we're with you, but we want you to add an ingredient into your cake and that is a spiritual dimension. And it's absurd. It's just downright absurd. You see Bergoglio trying to be this uh, this secularist and humanist. Uh, uh, it's an absurdity. Uh, it, it, it's just a, it's dressing up as, a, as something you're not. Uh, and, well, uh, and I suppose you're actually, there's an older question here, obviously formulated in, in the early church, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem, right? And there's a, a more legitimate question, I suppose, there than the idea of trying to reconcile the revolution with the church. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, it, it goes back to Baal and <laughs> all the rest of it. Uh, but it's it's particularly that problem of of the 18th century and the French Revolution. Uh, the that has been the struggle in the Church for the past 200 years plus, and that is the struggle that is going on now. Uh, you, you will never understand the present problem unless you understand the French Revolution and its effects. Now, you mentioned December the 8th, 1965. Do we have a, an address from December the 7th, 1965, in, in which Paul VI uses the phrase conciliar church, interestingly enough. The conciliar yes. church has also, it is true, been much concerned with man, with man as he really is today, with living man, with man totally taken up with himself, with man who not only makes himself the center of his own interest, but who dares to claim that he is the end and aim of all existence. Secular, profane humanism has finally revealed itself in its terrible shape and has, in a certain sense, challenged the council. 
The religion of God made man has come up against the religion, for there is such a one, of man who makes himself God. And what happened? An impact, a battle, an anathema? That might have taken place, but it did not. It was the old story of the Samaritan that formed the model for the Council of Spirituality. It was filled only with endless sympathy. Its attention was taken up with the discovery of human needs, which become greater as the son of the earth, thus makes himself greater. Do you at least recognize that its merit, you modern humanists who have no place for the transcendence of the thing supreme and come to know our new humanism? We also, we more than anyone else, have the cult of man. Again, your Excellency, there's so much wrong here, but I think what bothers me more than anything, we're only a few, maybe my, my memory is wrong, but I don't feel that the Samaritan is, was that long ago in the liturgical year as a gospel. I don't feel it was, maybe it was a couple months ago, but the idea of co-opting the Samaritan as his figure here, I find mm-hmm. one of the biggest perversions of this statement. Um, it's, it's very frustrating. Well, yes, that the Samaritan it will come and fix up the the wounded, uh, um, you know, the wounded person. Uh, the the you see, if you look at that whole thing, it's uh, he is reproaching secular profane humanism uh, for its lack of spirituality, not for its intrinsic principles. He does not say this is something necessarily and intrinsically contradictory to the Catholic faith. He is saying it's, it's missing an ingredient, and now we have come up with a transformed Catholicism, the conciliar church. We have the ingredient that you so often wanted from us, and which so many of you called for, that, that Catholicism should be transformed. There were ideas of transforming Catholicism since the 18th century. This, this idea of a, a new Catholicism is as old as the hills. And so finally, Paul VI has come up with it. And this is at the end of the council. The, December 8th will be the, 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 the day of, of uh, closing the council. So December 7th is the day before. And, and uh, so he says, uh, you know, what happened when the religion of God made man has come up against the religion of man who makes himself God. What happened, he says? An impact, a battle, an anathema, which should have been true, because they're two things that are totally opposed to each other. Uh, he says that, that might have taken place, but it did not. And then uh, the, um, uh, the council was formed by the... Uh, uh, you know the spirituality of the Samaritan. Uh, it was filled only with an endless sympathy. That means the council looked with sympathy upon this modern world that doesn't have the uh, transformed Catholicism in its system, and so it's a it's it's missing something. Uh, <clears throat> don't forget that Paul the Sixth and Maritain were personal friends and that Paul VI was a great uh, devotee of the philosophy of Maritain. So this is all Maritain talking, you need integral humanism. So uh, its attention, meaning the Council's attention, was taken up with the discovery of human needs, which become greater as the son of the earth, S-O-N, makes himself greater. 
I mean, what what is he talking about? The son of the earth, you know, we're children of God. Uh, you know, the son of the earth makes himself greater. How is man greater? I mean, because he has more gadgets, he has rocket ships. Does that make him greater? Uh, he is descending into the pits of error and perversion of the mind. Does that make him greater? Uh, so, um, and but the council is all concerned about man, as we saw at the beginning. See, man, man, man. How many times did he say man? You know, we're, we're totally we're we're. Uh, it is true, the conciliar church, it is true, has been much concerned with man, with man as he is really today, really is today, with living man, with man totally taken up with himself, with man who do, uh, who not only makes himself the center of his own interests, but who dares to claim that he is the end and aim of all existence. That's diabolical, <laughs> that man should claim that he is the, the end of all existence is, is downright diabolical. And he's talking about this as if it's some sort of uh, development in, in the history of man and, and that the, the council can deal with this and in some way uh, baptize it. Uh, and uh, so, um, so then he says to these, the modern world, do you at least recognize this uh, the, its merit, you modern humanists, who have no place for the transcendence of things supreme and come to know our new humanism. We also are more than anyone else, we also, more than anyone else, have the cult of man. That, that is one of um, he's gonna out secular statements. He's going to out-secular the secularists. <laughs> yes. Yes. As we have the true humanism. That's what he's saying, because it respects transcendence. And that transcendence doesn't mean the Catholic faith. It simply means an openness to God and, and things like that. That's all. Well, your Excellency, as, as you know, whenever you transition between courses, there's a palate cleanser. And we've had <laughs> to go through two pieces of Paul VI garbage. So might you have some words for, from Pius X? Uh, in contrast to this, that might specifically deal with some of the garbage that we've had to, to read and listen to? Yes, Pius X understood totally the the problem of the modern world, and, and he saw this uh, back, uh, you know, he reigned from 1903 to 1914. So he was uh, completely aware of this very problem, this attempt to transform Catholicism into a a secular humanism, or or a, a a an integral humanism, as they say. In other words, a spiritualized humanism. Um, he says in his encyclical, A Supremi Apostolatus, which was his infer- first encyclical, he who considers these things is entitled to fear that such a perversion of minds might represent the beginning of those evils foretold for the end of time, forming, as it were, their stepping stone on to the earth and the son of perdition of whom the apostle speaks might already be coming amongst us. For religion is being attacked with the the greatest boldness and vigor. The dogmas of the faith are being battered, and no effort is spared to tear asunder man's link with the divine. Moreover, and this is what the same apostle tells us is typical of the Antichrist, man in his unspeakable temerity 
is usurping the place of the Creator and placing himself above all that bears the name of God, you know, which is exactly what Paul VI is talking about. Powerless to <clears throat> extinguish within himself entirely the concept of God, he yet shakes off the yoke of his majesty and dedicates to himself a temple in the form of the visible world where he receives the homage of his own kind. That is why all our efforts must be directed towards bringing mankind back under the rule of Christ. To achieve the result of our hopes, it is vital to spare no efforts in uprooting this monstrous iniquity peculiar to the times in which we live, which leads man to set himself in the place of God. So these are two totally opposed views of the modern world and of secular humanism. Sounds like I mean, two different religions, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes, I would say One so. One might say. I mean, monstrous iniquity, peculiar to the times in which we live. <clears throat> Paul VI is, is saying, yes, man has set himself up as, as, as the center of the universe, and, and the Catholic Church is coming to terms with that, and we are coming to you with uh, you know, accepting your humanism, but with an ingredient of transcendence. Pius X is calling it a monstrous iniquity peculiar to the times in which we live. <coughs> and that shows the two, the two parties, I'm going to say, the two factions uh, that, that were existing within the walls of the Church. And Paul VI is, is alive at the time of this encyclical. The party of God and the party of man. Yes, it is. It, it, it's uh, the, this idea of transforming Catholicism into something acceptable to the modern world. It has been on the lips of all of the enemies of the Church, all of the liberals, for two centuries. That Catholicism, the way it is, is unacceptable. It has to be transformed. <clears throat> it is the last bastion of truth against this secular humanism. And it had to go. And go it did with Vatican II, and it's only represented by people like ourselves who hold to the traditional faith. <clears throat> well, and I think um, His Holiness is so it's such a, a wonderful insight here. He says, as you as you read to us, he's not a man is not able to get rid of God. He can't mm -hmm. extinguish it. So what he does instead is sets up the altar to himself and receives. Uh, the homage of his own kind. And so his, uh, uh, his Holiness's response is, why all our efforts must be directed towards bringing mankind back. So yes, mm -hmm. the Rubicon has been crossed, but we have to bring them back. Whereas yes. Paul VI is all about acceptance and trying to move forward. Yes, Again, correct. Again, two different directions. Yes, yes. Paul VI is rowing toward the waterfall, and and Pius X is is rowing back upstream and and uh, drawing people away from the direction of the waterfall. Well, speaking of the waterfall, Yersia, we're going to have to get back into the muck here. Um, I'm going to take you to November the 14th, 1970, and this was for the World Day of Peace. This then is our message for the year 1971. It echoes this new voice born of the civilized conscience, the declaration of the rights of man. All men are born free and equal in rights and dignity. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should conduct themselves towards each other as brothers. This philosophy of our civilization has at last reached the summit, 
Let us not turn back. Let us not lose the treasure we have gained by this victory of reason. Let us strive rather to apply with logic and courage this formula which forms a landmark of human progress. Every man is my brother. This is essentially what we mean by peace, and it is something that applies to all. There is not one Catholic phrase in that entire uh, group. It could have been said by Billy Graham. Uh, Or Robespierre. Uh, Indeed. Yes, uh, by any of the radical revolutionists of the 1790s. I mean, it, it is pure humanism. There is not the, no mention of Christ. There's <laughs> no mention of anything supernatural. Uh, you know, Allah mentioned Verdun Bruder, uh, all men will become brothers. That, that is the poem of Schiller uh, that Beethoven put to music. Uh, it is totally humanistic, Freemasonic. Uh, you, you cannot be more <laughs> in that category by this statement that, that uh, somebody who purports to be the Roman pontiff would make that statement is absolutely appalling. He, he is embracing the, the French Revolution, which was a proclamation of the rights of man apart from God, apart from any reference to the Creator, apart from any reference to the Redeemer. Uh, and, and that is its sin. Uh, that, you know, it's not to say that human beings do not have certain rights. Of course they do but to assert the rights of man without any reference to his duties and without ever any reference to where those rights come from uh, and, and the, the, that the, the purpose of a right is to fulfill a duty to God. Is this, I mean, if the Catholic Church were writing that, it would be for the declaration of the duties of man toward God. <laughs> and the, the, these duties have correlative rights, and that is the right to profess the Catholic faith and the right to private property and various other things. Uh, but the, 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 you start with man's duties. That's why he has a right. See, but this is a, uh, just a shaking of the fist at God uh, that, uh, that you know, man has his rights, uh, 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 you know, just as purely naturalistic. I mean, you could not get a more Freemasonic statement than that, that what is right there. And well, uh, I, I'm going to try your ecstasy. I've got more. I'll try, I'll, I'll try to get more Freemasonic for you. I'll accept the challenge here. We have uh, October the 4th, 1965, uh, again, uh, to the United Nations. Uh, the mm-hmm. peoples turn to the United Nations as their last hope for peace and concord. We make bold to bring here with our own their tribute of honor and hope. You exist and work to unite nations to bring states into association. Let us put it in the form that you exist to get a people together with one another. You are a bridge between peoples. We are tempted to say that your characteristic is to reflect in the temporal order what our Catholic Church is in the spiritual order, the sole organization of its kind and universal. Nothing higher on the natural plane can be imagined in the ideological edifice of humanity. There is being established here a system of solidarity which receives the regular and unanimous support for its supreme civilizing objectives of the whole family of peoples for the good of each and all. This is the finest aspect of the United Nations organization. This is what gives it its most genuinely human guise. This is the ideal that mankind has dreamed of in its journey through history. We would venture to call it the world's greatest hope, for it is the reflection of the first time we're going to see this word, 
God's design, a design mm. transcendent and full of love for the progress of human society on earth, a reflection in which we can see the gospel message, something from heaven come down to earth. And again, see, I told you I'd try to get more Masonic on you. Um, I, again, I, I think this is, this is it. And again, God here is just a prop at the end of this propaganda message. Yes, it's a Freemasonic God, God's design, you know, the architect of the universe. Uh, you notice that it all concerns human it's life not a Catholic, It's not a Catholic God, we might no. say. Well, Bergoglio already told us there is no Catholic <laughs> God, so... You know. Right. Uh, this is an anticipation <laughs> of that. Right. Uh, no, it's as if God exists for the perf- the the secular humanism, that, that he wa- he blesses secular humanism, he wants... This is what he wants for the earth, uh, that, that it, it uh, be organized according to the principles of the United Nations, uh, the principles of the French Revolution, the principles of, of liberty and all of the other things that the French Revolution produced. Nothing about Christ the King. I mean, this is so opposite to Pius XI's encyclical on, on the royalty of Christ and his, his motto, Pax, Christi in Reino Christi, the peace of Christ in the reign of Christ. This is so opposed. You could not get something more opposed than this statement to the royalty of Christ. Uh, it, it is a. Uh, I am amazed that these things passed in the 1960s without more outrage. There's no internet because there back was still then. A, a, there's a no strong, internet back then. You see, that's true. I guess so. The um, but, you know, believe it or not, I was there in New York, and I saw him on that day, October 4th, 1965, <laughs> because, you know, I thought, well, he's the Pope. And, right. You know, I grew up under Pius XII, and, you know, you think the Pope is Catholic and that, that he, you know, he's you know, a very prominent person. So, yes, I, I went in and uh, uh, to New York City. And I saw him in his motorcade, and then I saw him standing in the the courtyard of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and um, and so I was there on that day, <laughs> and uh, I even have pictures of it. Uh, but uh, so you know, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, there was absolutely no criticism of this. Now I was only fifteen at the time. Maybe I didn't see it, but I still don't see literature at the time of a reaction to this as being totally against Pius XI, and totally against everything that church has ever stood for. Uh, there was a numbness at that time. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were some theologians that, that practically dropped dead when they saw this, but uh, the, uh, uh, there was a terrible weakness, too, that, that we wouldn't dare contradict the Holy Father kind of thing. And, and, well, that's the thing. You're, you're, uh, I'm thinking of that sermon you gave, and, and if, you, if you would like to listen to more of His Excellency's sermons, you can find the MHT Seminary feed in the iTunes store um, just by searching for MHT Seminary. Um, His Excellency gave a sermon about sort of a lack of doctrinal fire, that there are these people who are numb to heresy. They don't really react. And yet, Your Excellency, you know, we can attribute that to now. There's been so much, you know, horrible um, uh, sayings from from the modernist Vatican for 50 years. But in 1965, Cardinal Ottaviani, you know, uh, was still around. Um, I I have to imagine, 
again, since there was no internet, all you had for a speech would either have been printed in Osservatore Romano or in the New York Times, some other paper of record for that day. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't commented on, there was no 24-hour news cycle, maybe something mm-hmm. else happened or maybe the news coverage was such they were focused on his being there rather than looking at this text and saying, the world's greatest hope, the United Nations. And I just mm-hmm. think to myself, how is this possible? How can people believe that the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth would say that the United Nations is the world's greatest hope? In what context is that valid? Yes, Utant. Uh, he was the head of the United Nations at the time. U- Utant or Tant. Yeah, he's the greatest hope, together with all of these <laughs> peoples of various religions, which means that religion has nothing to do with it. You're organizing humanity on something other than religion, because they were of all different religions, and the communists, too. Uh, I don't think China was part of it at the time, but certainly Soviet Russia was, together with all of their satellite states. Mm. And, and you're saying this to the Soviet Union? Of course, he was, <laughs> he was a communist, uh, Paul VI. I mean, the... the he, probably uh, cleared, he probably cleared the speech with them before he gave it. Yes, yes. I mean, the 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 story about him was that the reason why Paul VI got rid of him, um, Pius XII got rid of him in the Vatican, was that he was leaking to the Soviets the names of the priests that were being sent in secretly by Pius XII into Russia, because they were one by one arrested and and shot, mm. and that that was the scandal. I mean, I've heard that twice. In a, you know, I can't give you chapter and verse on it, but I heard it from good authority on uh, two occasions. One of them was a Lutheran. Well, I mean, we know he was dismissed with, without, you know, too much too much fuss, and so it had to be something pretty drastic, considering his senior position within the Curia at the time. So yes. it wasn't for uh, some sort of uh, flap. Now, again, Yarsi, please cleanse our palate. We've had, you know, to read this <laughs> this stuff. Please tell us what Pius X considers uh, reforming of civilization. Does he think of it as a human task, something that's for the United Nations? <laughs> oh, sure. You just listen to him. Now, before I read what he says, though, uh, this is from Notre Charge Apostolique, which is an encyclical condemning uh, a movement in France called the Sion. The Sion uh, anticipated everything that Paul VI is saying here. Now, an interesting uh, note on this. Paul VI's father was the editor of the Italian organ of the Italian version of the Sion. That is, the Sion in Italy uh, you know, had, it had an Italian branch. His father edited the newsletter or newspaper of the Sion in Italy. So you can see the type of family that Paul VI is coming from. He's getting heavy doses as a child of all of this garbage, and he's going to drag this garbage right into the throne of St. Peter. So listen to Pius X. There is no need for us to point out that the advent of world democracy can have no relevance to the work of the church in the world. The reform of civilization is essentially a religious task. Uh, And uh, for true civilization presupposes a moral foundation for it 
and there can be no morally based civilization without the true religion. This is a truth which can be demonstrated from the evidence of history. So, again, opposite ends. Like, as you said, two different religions, two totally different people speaking about two totally different things well, that contradict we, each other. Well, and as we've seen from our, uh, the other show that you do, Popes Against the Modern Errors, Look at the economy of speech, Your Excellency. He says so much in so little, it takes Paul yes. VI paragraphs to say nothing. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, that's typical of the modernists. They talk and talk and talk. They say nothing. Uh, it's almost an admirable art to be able to talk so much and say nothing. <laughs> but that, that is done in order to couch the error uh, in, uh, in a lot of fluff and almost like a dunnage, you know, like you, you wrap your things in, in bubble wrap, uh, it, it, it uh, is a way of letting the error pass. Well, I, I, I'm not going to c- continue to subject our listeners to two uh, readings now. I'm going to reduce it. We've, we've sort of built them up. I'll, I'll do one reading from Paul VI, and, and you'll give us one of, one of the readings from, from one of the Holy Fathers. Uh, Another World Day of Peace, Your Excellency, this one in 1969. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mankind is on the march, moving towards a greater mastery of the universe. What purpose is served by this conquest? It enables men to live better, more intensively. Mankind, subject to the limitations of time, seeks its fullness of life and finds it. It is moving towards unity, towards justice towards a state of balance and perfection, which we call peace. Peace is the logical aim of the world today. It is the end towards which tends all progress. It is the final order towards, towards which the great efforts of civilization are directed. We proclaim peace to be the chief fruit of man's self-consciousness, of that capacity by virtue of which he desires to see the direction of his journey, both now and in the future. Peace, we proclaim once more, is in various different ways the end and aim of normal and progressive development of society. Um, again, I don't know really where to begin, Your Excellency, but I would say that the peace word here, again, is a code word and something that allows Paul VI to put his arm around secularism. Because who's against peace? Nobody's against peace, right? right? So he wants to get them involved and say, look, we're about peace. That's all we care about as a church. So come on, get on, get on board with our peace project. But and in some ways, I don't know if any of his assertions are true, that it's this some apotheosis of the Christian life or of, of the church's mission is to obtain peace. I'm not certain that that's really the formulation works for us. No, it, 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 that's not the purpose of the Catholic Church. The purpose of the Catholic Church is to convert sinners uh, and those who do not know the gospel to the Catholic faith and to the obedience of, to the commandments. That's the purpose of the Catholic Church, to draw them to heaven. Uh, it is, the Catholic Church is not so naive as to think that the world is going to live in perfect peace because of, it still has the effects of original sin. So, you know, this idea of creating a world in which there will be no war and, and that everyone will negotiate their problems uh, it's just absurd. Uh, we still have the effects of original sin. Uh, not even all Catholics live up to their religion. Many do not. 
and so therefore they would be prone to uh, conflict because they would like charity, they would perhaps like justice. Uh, and in any case, the the peace of the human race <clears throat> uh, would come about by the obedience to Christ the King. First, the conversion to him uh, to become part of the mystical body of Christ, which is the Catholic Church and only the Catholic Church, and to to be connected with him in such a way that there is a supernatural bond of charity among men. That's what Pius XI said, you know, the peace of Christ in the reign of Christ. This is the, the constant teaching of the Catholic Church. It's what did, in fact, keep the peace in the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages, you know, in general, enjoyed a, a, a great peace. Uh, it, it was shattered somewhat at the end of the Middle Ages by the, uh, by the Hundred Years' War, but even then, there, were, there was nothing like the warfare that there has been since the French Revolution. Nothing like it. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was a, a question of kings and their nobles and their knights, and, and life went on, you know, even if, if there was a war going on. There was, there was no total war and the war of democracies, the war of peoples, as Churchill warned. You know, he said, uh, up to now, we have had the wars of kings, but beware of the wars of peoples. Mm. Uh, and this is what democracy and, and uh, the French Revolution has given us, is the wars of peoples. And uh, so, you know, the far from perfecting the human race, far from giving the human race peace, all of the errors of the French Revolution have, have given us the, the bloodiest and cruelest warfare. Uh, and you know, he's coming and saying to this organization that is loaded with the very same principles as the French Revolution that, that you're going to give peace to the world and that, that we, the Church, are relying on you to give peace to the world. And this peace that he's talking about is, is not just a, a laying down of arms. It, it, is, it is a... Uh, uh, it is a, it's a, a one-world government, a one-world church. It, it, he's putting the whole puzzle together with all the pieces. Uh, it, the uh, and th this theme will be picked up by the other post-conciliar uh, Novus Ordo popes. Uh, the, um, the the idea of uh, and Paul this, um, um, John Paul II talked about the UN and there should be an international army that keeps the peace and all of this. Uh, they should, you know, have the power to do certain things. Uh, Ratzinger talked about the same thing, and uh, and Bergoglio, my goodness, he's he's Mr. Secularism. Uh, you know, the worst evils are that the lone, uh, the 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 old people are lonely, and the young people don't have jobs. Those those are the worst evils of the world. Uh, and um, uh, this. Uh, uh, this peace is something beyond just uh, you know, avoiding war. This is something. This is a transformation of society in a secularistic way, which has always been the goal of the socialists and the you know the atheists and everybody else. Uh, the, all of the uh, it has been. It's an ancient. Well, it's a very old goal that has been set for society. And it required the transformation of the Catholic Church and the cooperation of the Catholic Church as, as a world organization. So he is essentially saying, we are with you. We, we are secular humanists. We have the cult of man even more than you do. That's exactly what he said. So uh, 
that, that's, that's the way to understand all of this. Uh, and it's totally contrary to the teaching of the Catholic Church. Well, I also seem to remember a, a quote, uh, I, I come not to bring peace but a sword. Um, uh, yes, it, somebody famous said that. <laughs> in, in, indeed, Our Lord so again, said that. We, we we find it not just that he's wrong, but that he's contradicting. And and can you give us a bit of context, Your Excellency? I don't want to just take a, a quote from our Lord out of context. How does that apply to what we're talking about here? When he, when he says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Well, the context is that you will have to be at odds, if necessary, if they contradict the faith. Be at odds with your relatives and your friends and, and others, whoever contradicts the faith essentially in saying explicitly, you know, you have to sacrifice everything for me, which is a sign of his divinity. He could never ask that of anyone unless he were God. So that's one of the arguments of uh, saying, you know, pointing to his own declaration of divinity, that he 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 uh, claims the rights of divinity. Uh, that That's uh, that's the context of that. That, uh, that if uh, uh, fidelity to Christ comes at the price of the sword. Well, then let them let there be the sword. So, uh, uh, because our fidelity and attachment to Him is above all things, uh, even our own lives. So, your can we can we look to a quote from from one of the popes to to get us. Uh, get us fixed against this idea that peace is the aim of the Catholic Church, the chief aim, I should say, the, the chief, uh, its chief goal, the chief fruit of man's self-consciousness? Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Pius X, um, he said, uh, no, my venerable brethren, we must be insistent in recalling at a time of social and intellectual anarchy such as the present. Notice what he says. This is 19, uh, early 1900s. When each man sets himself up as his own teacher and lawgiver, that we must not try to build the city except as God has built it. See, it's totally against Paul VI. Here, Paul VI is going to the U.N., uh, asking the humanity to build the city. And Pius X continues, that society cannot be soundly built upon foundations other than those the Church has laid for it, and not unless it is she who directs the labor. It is no use saying that we must create a new civilization or build the new city in the clouds. It has been built. It is already in existence in the shape of Christian civilization, of Christendom. It is this which must be constantly installed and restored upon these foundations which are both natural and divine against the repeated onslaughts of an unhealthy utopianism based on revolt and impiety. And then he, he ends that with his motto, Omnia Instaurare in Christo, uh, restore all things in Christ. See, so certainly the, Paul VI is is talking about this unhealthy utopianism, you know, as if you're going to cure the the problems of mankind uh, with with secular humanism. And you know, it's interesting because since the 1960s, the the UN has fallen on its face. 
It has not preserved peace. Nobody pays attention to it. All it is is a collection of diplomats who are taking money from their governments and uh, who receive diplomatic license plates in New York so that they can park wherever they want and go out to nice restaurants in New York. That's all it is. Does anyone pay attention? Did Bush bow before the will of the U.N. before he invaded Iraq? <laughs> it's a joke. When did, when did the U.N. ever stop a war? Uh, it, it, does anyone pay attention to it? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the, the world media does. Yes, yes, I'm sure it does. But... <laughs> Uh, I mean, it really has lost its its prestige that it may have had in the 1960s. Uh, you know, it, Paul VI looks very foolish uh, reading all of this because it, it has it has fallen on its face. It might as well split up the way the League of Nations did. I mean, it's a failure. Nations are going to act on, on in their own interests. So, you know, who cares what they think about in that building in New York? <laughs> Well, uh, lest we lest we focus entirely on on Bergoglio, your Excellency, let's give uh, Benedict uh, some some uh, play as well. Uh, we we know that he got a lot of flack for his "We all worship the one God" uh, university speech that he gave, but we actually see this again from Paul the Sixth, August the ninth, nineteen seventy, an Angelus message. We have a hope which may appear utopian because it does not rest on any concrete basis and may even itself represent a point of discord. So, uh, Your Excellency, I, I'm thinking you could rephrase this to say, I might be saying something that is heretical. I'm not certain. <laughs> yeah. it, says, yeah. it does not rest on any concrete basis. It may even itself <laughs> represent a point of discord, but which we consider to be founded upon an argument that is solid and practical. The conflict involves three different ethnic, ethnic religious groups, all of which recognize a one and true God. The Hebrew people, the Islamic people, and between them and scattered throughout the entire world, the Christian people. These three expressions of an identical monotheism speak with the most authentic and ancient, and even the boldest and most confident, the most convinced voices. Can we not hope, therefore, that the name of the same God instead of engendering irreconcilable opposition, may lead rather to mutual respect, understanding, and peaceful coexistence. Should the reference to the same God, the same Father, without prejudice to theological discussion, not lead us rather one day to discover what is so evident yet so difficult, that we are all sons of the same Father, and that therefore we are all brothers? Again, if I had the Bishop Sanborn doll, I would pull the strings, <laughs> At this moment, and I feel it would have said that's heresy at least two or three times. Um, and, and at the end, even if we get through all the heresy, at the end, it's not a matter of conversion. It's a, his goal is mutual respect, understanding, yes. and peaceful coexistence. Yes. That's the sumum bonum for Paul VI. I love the phrase, without prejudice to theological discussion. For example, how many persons there are in God, that's reduced to theological discussion. Well, it happened to be discussed at about five or six councils in the early church with, with great heat and, and with plenty of anathemas following and excommunications. I mean, and our Lord said, you know, if you don't, know, if you don't accept me, then you don't know the Father. 
So it, it's it's totally against sacred scripture, and and of course you know to say that the the Muslim Allah is the same thing as as the Father of Jesus Christ is is you know, where do you begin? How how do we think of adjectives to talk about the blasphemy and absurdity of such a statement? Well, as I said, normally if this was being read from the pulpit at Most Holy Trinity, it would be followed by uh, a lot of pulpit pounding and, and condemnations. But since we've got His Excellency uh, on a radio program, uh, you, you're not going to get those sound effects today. Again, <laughs> your, can, you, can you give us, um, and everyone knows at this point it's going to be Pius X, His, His Holiness, uh, can you give us some sanity to counteract um, this... Uh, I, all of the heresy that's, that's put in front of us. Yes, he said in, in the same document uh, against the Sion, which means the Pharaoh, uh, he says, strange indeed, and both sad and terrifying are audacity and rashness of spirit of men who call themselves Catholic and dream of founding a society anew in such conditions and of establishing upon earth independently of the Catholic Church, quote, the reign of justice and love, with the help of, unquote, with the help of all who come, of whatever religion, or none at all, with or without beliefs, provided only that they are prepared to forget that which divides them, their religious and philosophical beliefs, and to concentrate on what unites them, a generous idealism, and certain moral forces, quote, of whatever origin, unquote. It is frightening, the Pope continues, the result of such promiscuity of labor, the beneficiary of such cosmopolitan social action, can only be a democracy which is neither Catholic nor Protestant nor Jewish, a religion more universal than the Catholic Church, uniting all men, thus finally become brothers and comrades in the quote, reign of God, unquote. Uh, quote, to work no longer for the church, but for mankind, unquote. This is organized apostasy. Those are that's, that's perhaps the strongest words and prophetic words of Pius X. It's as if he had read these very quotes of Paul VI. I mean, well, I think that's such a such an apt phrase, is it not? You're actually organized apostasy. I mean, I, there's not yeah. really another another word to capture it as well as that does. It would be a good way to term the Novus Ordo, organized apastasy. Well, I, I don't know how organized the Novus Ordo is. Uh, you're, you might be giving it a little bit more credit. Uh, maybe when Sister Sledgehammer's in charge, it's organized. But for the rest of the time, no. Well, uh, I, we're going to bring a close to this section of, of this episode. We, we've still got some more things to talk about. But uh, I suppose you want to end a section with a prayer. And Paul VI has a prayer for us, uh, <laughs> given at Fatima of all places, you know, just a shame to Our Lady. May the 13th, mm-hmm. 1967. Men, make yourselves worthy of the divine gift of peace. Men, be men. Men, be good, be wise, be open to the interests of the general well-being of the world. Men, be generous. Men, begin to come closer to one another in your desire to build a new world. Yes, a world of true men, which can never come about without the Son of God shining upon its horizon. And this is when you cue Kumbaya, 
you start singing it right after you finish this prayer. Um, uh, that again, was S-U-N. Son of God was not S-O-N, but S-U-N. Yes. Yes. And don't forget, the symbol of socialism is the rising sun. Hmm. See, the this, this sun of God shining upon its horizon, that's the symbol of socialism. So that, that was not missed, I'm sure, by all socialists. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, first of all, we, in this day and age, we would have to say this statement is sexist. Because he, said, <laughs> it's he doesn't men, say anything men, about men. women. <laughs> so, right. you know, he would be uh, on the list uh, of uh, people who are politically incorrect. But uh, Well, and the, telling uh, but, men to be men is not sensitive to the transgender people as well. That's true. I mean, we men have to think might about not need to be men. Yes, yes, that's, you know, they should be good transgenders. <laughs> uh, but he is talking about this new world that is gradually coming together in our own time. I mean, this, this is uh, almost 50 years ago. And he has a vision uh, of the world that is, is quickly coming together. Uh, I was just in Seattle and uh, uh, passed by a building. I said, what building is that? And oh, that's that is the headquarters of Starbucks. And on the top of the building was an enormous rainbow flag, homosexual flag. No other mm-hmm. flag, but just an enormous homosexual flag. And I, you know, I just thought, oh, well, if this is another step, uh, I just stared at it in, in a type of disbelief. Not not you know, in Seattle, you kind of expect anything, but. Uh, that this should have so much acceptance today that that it is uh, uh, has has become a, a, a noble thing to defend. Why you mm. have to politicize a cup of coffee, I'll never know, but uh, they do. So anyway, but that, that's you know just an example of that. That there are things being done now that that far exceed what could have been done even ten years ago. Uh, as far as acceptance of a of a whole new plan of of world order and civilization, and human beings are so uh, numb and limp with regard to their resistance to any of this stuff that uh, anything will pass. Well, as as I said, we don't just have words; we have deeds. And again, we're surprised it seems these days by a beach ball at an altar or a video message for a a Protestant so-called bishop. But again, Paul VI paved the way for this. And it it just, we don't know about it because we haven't had anyone bring it up. But that's what today's episode is about, is about revisiting some of these things, or in many of your cases, listeners, visiting these for the first time, because you may not have heard. Um, We have June the 10th, 1969. He visits the World Council of Churches. Which, which I, previous popes would not even have countenanced acknowledging that it was a valid organization. He's giving it some kind of legitimacy just by visiting it. Uh, mm-hmm. August 6, 1969, uh, doesn't just praise the Catholic martyrs of Uganda, but also speaks about Muslims and Protestants uh, anticipating the ecumenism of blood that we get from Bergoglio. Mm-hmm. He yeah. says... Catholics, as well as faithful of other denominations, shed their blood upon this soil in the name of God. Mm-hmm. With such happy results yeah. that today the national community of Uganda includes several different faiths, 
each of which respects and esteems the others, because that's the summum bonum, the highest good for Paul VI, is mutual respect and esteem. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Orthodoxy doesn't matter. All that matters is respect and esteem. Uh, we, you know, everyone focuses on Tony Palmer and Bergoglio, but he gave a chalice to a Protestant. He received uh, an Anglican so-called Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, gave him a pastoral ring, allowed him to bless people at St. Paul's outside the walls, uh, gave a, a chapel behind St. Peter's to be used by Anglican so-called priests, and has permitted intercommunion. Again, all of these things are not new, and I, I suppose this is where I would ask uh, Your Excellency, did any of this stuff start to leak out in the 60s that this was going on, or were, were you part of the echo chamber that said, oh, if only the Holy Father knew, or these are just lies, and you know the real Paul VI is in a dungeon downstairs? No, at the time I remember it. Uh, the uh, of course I did not read all this stuff. Uh, even though I was in the modernist seminary, uh, I, I just didn't see it. Uh, uh, having been uh, conditioned by uh, American liberalism, I would say, uh, you know that that uh, being somewhat conditioned even by the Novus Ordo and. Uh, that was, uh, you know, already almost ten years into the Novus Ordo. Uh, the um, I, I don't know what my reaction would have been at the time, uh, but the the idea was that, you know, that whatever was being done that was bad was certainly not the fault of the Holy Father, who's a, a wonderful, you know, Catholic, and uh, that uh, that he's surrounded by all of these evil people and those evil bishops. And they are the the ones that are are doing all the bad stuff, and he's against all of it. That was the model that we we worked on, and they were you know worked with. And uh, but that blew up when I was at a cone. Uh little by little. But uh, when I I read these very texts at a cone, and I was horrified. Uh, that was about 1973. That's when I became a state of a cantist. It's just when I read this stuff, I, I said to myself, "This is this is a complete abandonment of the Catholic faith." Mm. And uh, so, you know, as I always say, we all have had an evolution. You know? And when I see the Novus Ordo conservatives in the same position that I was in in the 1960s, it, uh, I I feel sorry for them because it, it is to live in a in a dream world. Uh, that doesn't exist. You know, as I as I be, as I prepped for today's show, and as the, as this show is pro, uh, today's episode has progressed, you're going to see. I think I'm starting to understand. As you know, all of the Paul the Sixth stuff happened before my my for my time. Uh, I'd like to think I'm I'm a little older, but I'm still a, a youngster in some of these things. And um, I, I understand what you say, I think, a little better now when you say this is all going back to the 60s. But I have to think this must seem very bizarre for you because, because it's all been around before. So I think you're, you're, you might be standing in the middle of the street kind of looking left and looking right and say, well, this has all happened before. And it's just some sort of bizarre Groundhog Day for you where it's all back to ugly vestments, the Iron Cross. The, the the crazy. I mean, it's all just a replay. So 
hopefully, I mean, there's not going to be another one after this, but um, what does this portend, I suppose, Your Excellency, just this weird replay of a couple generations? Well, Bergoglio is the is a product of the 60s. Father Chicada and I always compare notes and say, we heard this stuff. We know what he's saying. He was taught this stuff because we were taught it, uh, the various words that he uses, the catchphrases. Uh, he is just a, he's like a, 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 like a model, a plastic model car from the 1960s. I mean, he's a hula hoop or a, or, or, so or classic 1960s. To quote Archbishop Lefebvre, might we say that he's a bastard child of the 60s? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. He, he, he's, he's a product of the 1960s. And so he is embodying all of this doctrine of Paul VI. Uh, he, he is just giving us what I would call the flowering or the fruit of what Paul VI uh, set down as the principles of Vatican II. Bergoglio has understood that completely. He understands Vatican II. And his goal is to completely implement Vatican II. And the radicalism that you're seeing in Bergoglio is contained in Vatican II. Uh, and, and that's why I always say that the only resolution of the problem in the Church is to dump Vatican II. It must be dumped, because it is loaded with error. It is loaded with everything that Bergoglio stands for. Uh, and uh, it is the product of these people, like Paul the Sixth, like John the Twenty Third, people like him, imbued with the the same spirit, the same attitudes. Um, you know, uh, Leo the Thirteenth, for example, said this beautiful thing: "Let no one have any contact with those who hide their deepest intentions under the mask of universal tolerance and respect for all religions." and are obsessed with the idea of reconciling the maxims of the gospel with those of the revolution, Christ with Belial, and the church with the godless state. And that, that there you have a, you know, just a strike at everything Paul VI, John Twenty-Third, and all of their successors uh, are uh, put on a pedestal. I mean, it, it takes the whole statue down, <laughs> comes crashing to the ground. That it is, it is try, uh, trying to put Christ with Belial. That's a quote from Saint Paul. Belial being the the classic false god. Uh, the godless state is Belial, and the, uh, the uh, Paul VI wants to put Christ with Belial, and Bergoglio un- has understood that. That is the spirit of Vatican II. There will be no progress in the solution to the Church's problems until Vatican II is dumped, to put it very bluntly. Uh, I'm not used to saying things bluntly and directly, but there you go. (laughs) (laughs) His Excellency has made a special effort just for you listeners. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I always say, if elected Pope, I promise the first thing I will do will be to burn the documents of Vatican II solemnly in St. Peter's Square. Might, might I say, at this point, Your Excellency, we've got to go further than that. Um, I wouldn't say we need a motu proprio, but there would have to be some document that basically would go through and refute everything from Vatican II. So it wouldn't be enough just to erase it. We'd have to go through and, and say everything that should have been said in 1960 yes. through 1965. All the, as Paul VI said, uh, there was a crash 
and was there an anathema? There might have been. Well, let's let's go back and make that wish come true, and have yes. uh, that that series of anathemas, and and have that clear line drawn in the sand. Yes, I would love to write those documents. I would love <laughs> to write the documents for the true Vatican II, the true Second Vatican Council. Uh, I I will stay up the whole night and write them in Latin. <laughs> with all the proper anathemas, because uh, that would give me the greatest pleasure, and I would love to see that before I die. <laughs> to have that well, happen. haven't you seen some of the preparatory documents for the council, the ones that had been prepared by, let's say, the Ottaviani camp? Uh, yes. I, I've heard that yes. some of those documents are quite good. Yes, they were quite good. I mean, I, I never studied them. You know, I don't want to give them a blanket approval, but they were night and day. Uh, with regard to, you know, in comparison to the documents that came essentially from Karl Rahner, uh, which is Vatican II. Uh, the uh, night and day, first of all, they were comprehensible. They were of limited uh, length. They, they were not, you know, a, a book, essentially, what you get with uh, Vatican II, you know, a lot of gobbledygook and nonsense and, and dunnage. Uh, the, um, you know, they, they read like a traditional schema. And, uh, you know, as I said, I can't put my stamp of approval on every single thing that was said in there, but, uh, you know, overall, they were, they were good. Taviani, for all of his weakness, was orthodox. He was an orthodox Catholic. And uh, I'm sure there was nothing in there that was contrary to faith. Well, uh, I know it's the end of the academic year for you, Your Excellency, so I want to thank you for your time uh, today and, and for your fortitude in, in putting up with uh, paragraphs and paragraphs of Paul VI. I, I hope it doesn't cause any uh, nightmares tonight having to, to hear too much of that, and I hope, dear listeners, that uh, His Excellency's uh, bringing forth a, a Catholic teaching against this nonsense that uh, I had to read from Paul VI was helpful to you. Do you have anything else you'd like to leave us with before we let you go today, Your Excellency? Mm. Uh, just uh, that the people should have a strong understanding of, of the problem of Vatican II, uh, what led to it, and that is the triumph of this faction that Pius uh, X is condemning, and we saw his condemnations, and Leo XIII is condemning this faction that wants to baptize the revolution and baptize the modern world, the secularistic modern world. They must understand that as the, the animus of Vatican II. Christ and Belial. I think that's probably yes. where we'll end, Your Excellency. Yes, yes. Thanks so much for your time, and we look forward to our next episode. Uh, with you uh, as we get towards the close of this series. Thank you. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that if you have any questions for His Excellency, uh, any any follow-up on this episode or, or uh, suggestions for things that we you'd like to see covered, again, our series is coming to an end, but we can uh, and might have time to go back and cover things that you'd like to see covered. We want to remind you that the Root of the Rot is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail, M-A-I-L, at truerestoration.org. 
All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.